Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, I hope you had a great Labor Day. Um, obviously, we've got some wonderful news to discuss uh, in regards to the Chicago White Sox team, you know, simply as we have the last month. But with that all being said, how are we doing? I, I think we're all in the same place. We're just counting down the days until this season ends. Unfortunately, this this was supposed to be fun. It's not. Um, this is like four or five episodes in a row where we're not really talking much baseball on the field, um, which is a credit to the team giving us so many things to talk about off the field. But excited for another episode. Yeah, it's always good to talk with you guys. And it really, it's, I wouldn't say it's the most I get every week when it comes to baseball. Like I still follow the sport, obviously, but it's definitely one of the most intense things I do. Like if this were a normal season, I would be like, this would be like one hour out of, you know, like seemingly 50 where I'm doing something related to baseball, but it's kind of sad how little there is going on. And part of that is, you know, football is starting and whatnot, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's tough, but yeah, always, always good to have these conversations. I guess they kind of turn into like a weird form of therapy in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting through like the multiple stages of being a White Sox fan, you know, and we're kind of in that stage of we're almost resentful towards watching other baseball teams be good at baseball because of how bad we are currently at baseball and everything, everything outside of the team or off off the field doesn't necessarily help either. I think we've talked about that too before Um, and not to turn this into a whole rant about, you know, baseball on the field, but your enjoyment of or at least mine, I won't say your as in anybody, but me, my enjoyment of the game on the field is kind of at least recently been like, if the Sox really aren't in it, I'm not sitting down watching the end of Sunday night baseball games or anything like that. I'm trying to find other things to do. I don't know if everybody's like that. That's kind of how I've gotten. I used to not be like that. And it's probably because of how much I've emotionally invested in this team that that's kind of changed. But that's just how I've kind of seen it too. It's like, yeah, it hasn't been as fun for the White Sox. So it's harder for me to enjoy the rest of the league, enjoying the games that they're playing meaningful September games. Yeah, I can relate to that a bit. And I think, when when Duke was saying that, you know, we might be a little bit jealous of other teams or something like that. I mean, I was at the Mets versus Mariners game on Saturday and Julio Rodriguez hit a cool RBI triple, like 108 miles an hour that probably would have been a home run in most parks. And just watching him fly around the bases and the Mariners dugout going crazy. And even the fans, they travel pretty well, you know, given that they're pretty far away geographically, like in, a, in an away stadium. I was just thinking like, wow, this should have been us. Like it, it was just, it was so cool to watch, but also so frustrating because we we did have it but it was so brief i i have a really good buddy who is a diehard mariners fan he's up he's actually from canada originally and uh i I give him credit he is definitely all over that team whenever they're good whenever they're bad you know kind of on top of it similar to how we are you know we we've still covered this team through the good and bad um but honestly i would i would liken this pretty similar to being a blackhawks fan the last few years um, I'm very resentful about watching hockey during the season because I ne- don't necessarily want to watch the Blackhawks with how bad they've been. I don't necessarily want to watch other teams play good, but I swear it's by the time we hit October baseball, I'll be, I'll be hooked back in enough. Plus it helps that the Milwaukee Brewers are good. 
Um, and hopefully they ended up making a run because obviously that's kind of my NL team. Um, and I really just don't want to see the Cubs make a run because watching the Cubs play winning baseball is absolutely disgusting. But anyway, you know, I, I could talk about this stuff all day. Uh, we have quite a bit to cover in the episode, but before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website, SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th. So, obviously, the elephant in the room, um, it's hard to really kind of discuss anything on the field with this team. So, we have to talk about the the big news that's happening off the field for this team, and that is the White Sox promoting Chris Getz to GM of GM of the team. Um, Jordan, I know you wrote an article going in detail um really about Getz's background you know background in the game background with the organization um even had a tidbit there about uh Dave Williams saying that you know a couple years ago this hire would have been a a knock it out of the park type of hire compared to where we are now um Jordan I'll let you kind of take the floor here uh what are your initial thoughts on the Chris Getz hire you know now that there's been some time to kind of let it sink in and uh where, where are you at with uh how this GM search went down. I, I think and I mentioned before we started recording too. I think had we done this earlier on, like right when it happened, I would have been like, you gotta be kidding me. I did. It's like, and really gone off on it. And that being said, I really haven't changed my mind on that more. So I've become maybe a little bit more open-minded to what can be done, but no matter how good Chris gets does, or the moves he makes, or or where this team eventually ends up. The problem for me comes back to, I think, what's the problem for everybody? The process that got us to this situation kind of stunk. I I think we all made jokes that, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf wasn't going to necessarily interview anybody else, that he made this decision as soon as the information came out that uh, Han and Williams were fired. And sure enough, that ended up being the case. You know, he, he said explicitly in the press conference, you know, I didn't have to interview anybody else on my list because I knew all of them. Uh, so it wasn't an exhaustive sh- search that brought um, guests to the team. It was a look around the room and a look down the name of the list and deciding, you know, th- this is what I'm going to go with. And it's frustrating because it's such a big decision to make and you made it pretty much immediately after you made the decision to fire Han Williams. And because you do that, it's going to be very hard for White Sox fans to have any faith in the move. And I think it does a disservice to Chris Getz. Because in reality, if you had gone through an exhaustive search and still decided on Chris Getz after all of that, fine. That That's a process that's a little bit easier to get behind. I probably still necessarily wouldn't have agreed with the decision, but the process is a bit more sound. This isn't a sound process. And even if it ends up working, it ends up like it's it's almost like it shouldn't have worked, but it did. And that's way down the road. And we can talk about Getz's credentials. I think the biggest thing for me, though, was the process that got us to this point was as flawed as a lot of things that the White Sox have done over the past five, six, seven years, especially for this rebuild, heading back long over the past couple of decades, absolutely still. Um, but especially these past five, six, seven years, it's the same flawed process that brought us to this point in the in the first place. Yeah, I completely agree there. And I think you, you just hit the nail on the head in terms of why most people are upset about the hire. It's not necessarily something to do with Chris Gatz, although I guess for some it can be. 
but it's more so that nobody else was even considered. And we'll talk about that that later. We'll talk about, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf's comments about how they have to win next year and all that. But that's kind of what I'm curious about with Getz is he, I mean, obviously is aligned with that vision, not only from his press conference, but also just from the fact that he and Reinsdorf are working closely together at this point because they have to. So we're going to learn a lot about him very, very soon, like within the next three months. And what I, what I mean by that is they're going to have to make a lot of moves. I mean, we, we've been talking about it all season, how they only have two starting pitchers on the roster for next year. And Michael Kopech is one of them. And who even knows if he will be a starter long-term at this point. I mean, I still like him, but you know, it's been a pretty bad year objectively. So we're going to learn a lot about him very soon. And in terms of my initial reactions, yeah, I mean, I, I respect that Jordan wrote that article and put all that thought into it. Personally, I don't have the patience to give, not that he's given the benefit of the doubt, but like, I just, I, I can't do it. I can't look at Chris Getz and be like, you know what, I'm going to give you a chance and you know, you, you don't, you deserve my, um, you know, benefit of the doubt for now. We'll see how you do. Like not there's anything wrong with that. It, it, like it's totally, it's probably better than my opinion. I'm just so jaded by everything that's happened this season and the last couple of years where it's like, I'm just, it's not to sound too pessimistic, but it's like, I just feel like it's not going to go well. And part of that isn't his fault. Part of that is the expectation of winning next year, but that's something we'll get into later as well. I understand the White Sox fans who are like that and who clearly cared enough to ratio the White Sox original tweet about the announcement of Chris Getz. Like, I understand the people who are like, there's no chance I'm giving this a shot. This is just the same old White Sox, same old thing, because in a lot of ways it is. For me, the difference is though like it's the frustration of not knowing in the past what a sort of power dynamic in the front office looked like we don't know if that's even going to change with hunter williams out of the picture because it seems very much like you know reinsdorf might be calling the shots about needing to compete next year um and it's it's hard to look at the totality of the minor league system and i think it's fair to say yeah it's a it was a problem but at the same point the talent that came into it isn't totally his fault so it's trying to marry the two sides of you know yes there should have been more talent coming through this prospect pipeline than there was versus well everything we know about how the organization was operating under williams and hun where do we sort of balance the two between, you know, like th- this is something we can p- pin on this person. This is something we can pin on that person. Where does that all fall? And that may not change w- with just gets as the single decision maker in the front office, but it at least makes me look and say, all right, I'm willing to at least look and see what your evaluations start looking like this winter for X, Y, Z reasons. Well, I think, and even even into that point, just to touch on it before I kind of answer the question I started off with, um, I think you have to pay attention to the characteristics of how Getz builds his roster compared to how we saw it built in the past. And I, then I think you'll see kind of the difference of who is calling shots in what areas, you know, because can we can we hold a guy like Chris Getz accountable for, you know, the Zach Collins of the world? You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it was that a, was that a, was that a Kenny Williams thing or Rick Hahn thing? Collins always felt like a Rick Hahn thing to me. You know what I mean? Whereas like there's other people in the past, you know, that felt a lot more like a Kenny Williams type pickup. Um, so I, I agree with you on that point that it's kind of hard to say 
who was really the final shot caller as far as who was bringing in the talent to the development cycle. You know, obviously it, it's hard to argue that not a lot of talent ended up making it through that cycle. But when, when there's guys that didn't go anywhere else and really develop either, you kind of start kind of wondering if they were ever going to be a ball player. And, you know, that's, that's why you look at a lot of the white Sox picks over the years. And even at the time that they were made, they're looked at as either reaches or very, you know, high upside but very you know low like low floor type things um so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out and i really think we'll get a good feel for where chris gets is as a gm once we finally see this uh roster start moving around because in his own words he's somebody who's been saying that you know that nobody's really safe no spot is safe there's going to be a full evaluation of the roster and i would be lying if i said that part of it wasn't a little bit refreshing um, as far as like the search, it, it's, it, it's, I hate when Jerry Reinsdorf does things like this, not because I know, not because it's like surprises me that he does it this way. It's just like, I hate when the meme just fits because like the idea on Twitter is like, oh, Jerry Reinsdorf is going to do it exactly like this. And, you know, everybody laughs at it and, you know, it's kind of a joke. And then it's one of those things that's like the more real that joke gets, the like just sadder you get. Cause it's like, God, how are we this spot on when we're just trying to say how bad like of a, a scenario that would be, but that he, then he just opens his mouth in a press conference and it's like, wow, this is exactly the process that we were all terrified of. And uh, it's a shame that we, you know, we kind of looked at some of the potential, you know, president of baseball ops that we could have right now, you know, outside of the White Sox organization. We got a little bit excited about it. You know, I liked the idea, obviously, when we were talking about on the last podcast, somebody from either the St. Louis or the Boston organization, obviously Tampa's organization. It's just a shame we're not going to get any of that. And, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see who gets can bring in that would be willing to put their uh, their livelihood and their and their job and their future on the Chicago White Sox after seeing a, a power struggle that ended with a guy who was kind of in the middle of the pyramid kind of shoot to the top. You almost wonder how much politics might have been involved in something like that. You know, is Chris got somebody that got into Jerry Reinsdorf's ear about, you know, cutting the rope with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. We don't know. We weren't there behind the scenes, but it seems like there's this relationship between Chris Getz and Jerry Reinsdorf that's pretty tight. And I just never saw really any earlier signs of this. So it just, it's, it's interesting. It, it, the entire process is interesting. It's crazy that somebody runs their baseball team like this, but that is exactly how it's been run. And that's con- apparently how it's going to continue to be run. So it's a, uh, it's a shame. When you said though, about the people he was going to bring in, I think that's one of the more, underrated and not really talked about enough pieces of it all. Getz is going to have a really, really hard time bringing people in. And the reason is he's, he was named the general manager and he is the single decision maker. Usually that person is a president of baseball operations for whatever reason. And and I don't know what the reason was. And I don't think we'll ever know what the reason was. He was not named to Kenny Williams. They essentially just got rid of Kenny's role to get rid of the power imbalance. Why does this all matter? Well, if you want to hire someone away from another organization, you do what anybody does. You offer a promotion of sorts. When when you switch jobs, it's usually because you're getting a well-earned promotion. In this case, you can't target assistant general managers 
who's going to make a lateral move and come to the White Sox and be like, I got to help fix this. Or I can stay in Tampa where I've got a, a, a long line, but a much cleaner line to the top. Who Who's going to decide like, hey, I want to jump laterally in that situation. So now you're looking at fellow director of player development uh, people, or you're looking at maybe brand new assistant general managers. Like you really can't look at those top names because you can't bring in someone above Getz and anyone you bring in below him. Well, you can't bring in an assistant general manager. You have to bring in a director of player development and bring them in as a assistant general manager. That is a huge problem. That's not going to get talked about enough until we have the podcast where we talk about who he's brought in and we're underwhelmed, unfortunately, by the names that were picked because the names on the table that we we might think were there aren't going to be there right now. And I think that's something that hasn't been talked about a ton that I think long-term is not going to help Getz, and it's not even his fault. That's part of the problem. Yeah, when you say not even his fault, that's that's what I keep coming back to. Like, I'm not trying to go conspiracy theory here. Like, I, I don't believe this, but you could make a somewhat compelling argument that he's being set up to fail in a way where to the that was a good point Jordan just made. You can't really poach people because of the title imbalances. And at the same time, they're saying we're competing next year, but we all know the reality of this roster and all the moves that have to be made in order for that to be happen. That seems really unrealistic. So it's just a really tough spot for any first-time general manager. And on top of it all, I think I would say last year, the White Sox fan base I would describe as angry might have been the best word, and I think justifiably so. But now I would just say it's more apathy than anger. Like, we talked about how we aren't, you know, sitting down and watching full nine-inning White Sox games anymore. And I don't know anyone who really is, unless they're physically at the game. And on that note, I typically go to like 20, 25 games a year and I've been to one game since the All-Star break. Like, it's no one wants to. My, my dad has been a season ticket holder for 15 years, and he's not renewing. And I can tell you about a dozen other people who are doing the same thing. Like, it's just the work is really cut out for him. And honestly, if this does succeed, whether, whether success is defined as the team being competitive next year or the team being an actual contender as soon as 2025, then Chris Getz will deserve a ton of praise because – you can't understate how difficult the situation is. So I'm just anxious to see how it, how it goes, because like I said earlier, we're going to learn a lot about this process pretty soon. And that will give us a good idea of what we might expect in the next couple of years about the type of player, you know, profile that he likes and whatnot. So I think both of you touched on some really good points as far as um, gets getting hired as a GM instead of like the president of baseball ops. And, you know, it's, I made a comment on the last podcast that I'm getting a little worried about. And it just, it, it almost makes me think that we're going to have this kind of like situation where we're going to just going to have this like face of the franchise type team president that Jerry Ryan's is going to hire like a Jim Tomey. Like I I'm, I'm horrified at the idea of that, but like the more you really look at the fact that the GM was hired first and that he's going to be the only baseball guy, I don't think Jerry's just going to roll without a team president. So it just makes me think that he's just going to have this novelty guy in the position like a Jim Tomey. And that's nothing against Jim. I love Jim Tomey as far as like the baseball player, the guy, whatever. But like it's it just shows how wrong this entire build of the front office is. Like how in the world do you hire your GM before your president, like 
your president of baseball ops. This is like the Bears rolling with Ted Phillips for as long as they did as a non-football guy as your team president. It, it, it just it boggles the mind. Genuinely boggles the mind. If that is actually what they do, it makes absolutely no sense. You can't just like why wouldn't you just if you only want one single decision maker, just give them the highest title possible and make their life easier. Like if they do something like hire someone to be like the professor emeritus of the White Sox, where it's like you have that title, but it was kind of just given to you like the president emeritus basically with the White Sox. Why would you do it that way? That that would really, really stun me if they ended up doing that, Duke, to your point. But it's like if they do end up doing that, why why wouldn't you structure it a little bit differently? I, I think, again, you, you can decide what you want about Getz and him being quote unquote single decision maker, but you could have made his job so much easier if you were willing to elevate his title on paper so that on paper you can give somebody else a higher title too and make his life easier by giving him more people he can hire. Like, Hey, an assistant GM that's looking to become a GM. Great. Here's where you, here's where you get your opportunity. Here's where you get to really sink your teeth into a team. Sure. You report to gets though. It feels like they were just so scared of that Han Williams dynamic, you know, resurfacing with a new Han and new Williams that Jerry decided not to do it at all. Or decision makers, the powers that be decided not to do it at all. And, and I don't, it, it, but it, even if that's not what it is, that's what it feels like. And it doesn't make sense to me how, how it all came to this. Okay. But you can't just decide that you're going to change how organizations in baseball are ran just because it didn't work out. And you're right. worried about the Correct. optics of a GM and a president. Like it just, it boggles the mind. You know, that's, that's why it makes me think that we're going to get just some stand in dude. That's going to, you know, smile, kiss babies and, you know, look good in pictures. You know, he's going to be a PR guy. He's going to be like somebody that everyone can't hate and he's not going to make any decisions. So by theory, he can't be hated and we can't, we don't have to fire our team president. It, that's what it feels like it's going to be. Or, or he's going to bring in like an accountant type guy or strictly a money guy who has absolutely no knowledge of baseball operations, which is again, even a worse, honestly, probably a worse decision because you've never, like, I don't know if we've ever seen, in fact, I will say, blatantly we've never seen a dynamic where this works in baseball or or really any other sport where the team president doesn't do add anything to the everyday like decision making as far as the team goes and the gm makes all the it's such a weird dynamic and i just don't understand where jerry's coming with it and i just it makes you wonder how much jerry really understands about the game of baseball and how long his hand was being held with people in the organization. And now it just kind of feels like he's went rogue and fired people who were kind of holding his hand, which is crazy to say that your president and your GM were holding your hand, but it's just, it's wild to me. And, you know, it, it hits a situation where it's like, are we ever really going to be surprised with the way that Jerry Ryan's their front of baseball team? But with all this negative energy out of the way, I mean, I, I know we were trying to come into this with like a rational mindset, but the more you kind of talk about it out loud, the more, the less it makes sense. You know, it, it, it just, it really sucks. Um, flip, flip, flip the, uh, flip the narrative for us a little bit here, Nick. What is something you think that Chris Getz could do Early on, besides DFAing Sebi Savala, which, by the way, very good start. Um, what do you think he can do to kind of maybe change the narrative around this baseball team and maybe think that 
maybe this team can move somewhere in the right direction post uh, Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. Well, the one thing I would have said is making a change in manager, but that's that's not happening. And I'm not even like the world's biggest Grafal hater, but seemed like a given, although maybe that was a condition of him being hired that, you know, keep Grafal for one more year. We don't want to pay multiple managers at the same time, whatever. But no, I think answering that question seriously. That's not a good condition, though. Oh, that's no. not a good condition, though. It's a terrible argument. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Yeah, but you're right. It's just yes. a terrible argument. Uh, but no, my actual like serious answer would be he said something in the press conference. I it's probably an exact quote, but not 100 percent sure about how they want to integrate analytics into every process in the organization. And I know that's kind of vague, and I think all press conferences are. But it was still refreshing to hear because sometimes Rick Khan would talk about analytics, and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, they're important," and then like that was kind of it. And you look at all the objective metrics that come out about teams and. The White Sox always had, I think it was the smallest or second smallest to the Rockies, like analytics staff in baseball. And of course, the White Sox PR got mad when that came out and claimed that, oh, we have a lot of people that just the titles don't line up. Like, I look at the product on the field and look at the, their team building philosophy and like it checks out. So if you can basically hire more people, I'm not talking about like hire big names that we've all heard of. I'm talking about even just like hire like Jordan Lazowski type people, like nerds out of college that, you know, I, I don't even mean that as an insult. Like I'm also a nerd, but. Hey, if the first thing Chris gets does is hire me away from this, I will be the first to say that he is the greatest GM in Chicago White Sox history. I will just say that. <laughs> you, you know what I mean though, right? Nick, what did you <laughs> just do? Why Why in the world would you stroke this man's ego? Not even meant I, I was waiting for my phone to ring the entire time over these past nine days when Jerry was making his decision. I didn't get a phone call, unfortunately. So We're going to have to listen to that all offseason now, Nick. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. I mean, Continue. You know what I mean? Just hire kids out of college who right, know right. whether it's math or computer science or both. Like It's not that hard. I mean, these jobs are super competitive like i i i know a lot of people who either have worked for organizations or have tried to and there's definitely good talent out there the white slash system never prioritize it so if that's what chris gets meant by integrate analytics if it simply means hiring people i think even though you know a lot has to happen it's more of a long-term thing that would make me feel good at least about the fact that he understands that what this organization needs and i'm not even saying become like i know analytics have become a big talking point because of the yankees because everyone feels they've gotten too far into it and it backfired and I have a lot of thoughts on that, but I'm not even saying like become, you know, the team that does only analyze. Like, I just think that the White Sox are so far in the other direction that they just need to be balanced out. And this is a good way to do it. Just hiring people. So on that point, Nick, you know, I think both you and I have applied for jobs within major league front offices before, like the exact type of roles, the sort of analyst type roles that you bring in. I think we've both done our research enough to say, you know, maybe I've seen a White Sox one pop up here or there, but most of the teams you're applying to are not the Chicago White Sox, just based on what's available and what's being posted out there. So I think that's a really good point about, you know, what would be a good starting point is showing you're really diving into, you know, again, not you don't have to be the forefront of analytics, but you have to catch up. because You're slowly getting there, but you need to move it a little bit faster than it's moving right now. On top of that, who he decides to make the team's director of player development is going to be a huge hire. Where does this person come from? Is this an internal promotion? Or is this someone who is either outside of the organization 
or just starting to get into baseball? Is it a name that we can find ways to get excited about? I think, you know, even with Griffal, there were, it's like, yeah, we can see the warts coming from the Royals, but it's a new name. It's outside the organization. This is an interesting conversation we can have. That sort of conversation could be a huge hire for them to restructure their minor league system a little bit. It will also say a lot about the type of person he thinks he can work with or the type of people that, you know, his mentality, his way of looking at the game jives with. I think that is probably, now that he decided to keep the um, manager, that that becomes the most important hire to make, is the person who filled your role previously, who was going to fill your previous role. Other than that, I, I think the questions about the coaching staff are going to continue to linger. I know Ethan Katz's name is on the hot seat. I, I think if you're going to do that, well, you better look at the hitting coach too because you brought in a new hitting coach this year, people, and the White Sox didn't start hitting. So at a certain point, are you just going to reset everybody again? Or are you going to basically step back and say, you know what? This crop of players wasn't it. I hired a hitting coach from the Braves. I should feel pretty good about that decision on paper. Maybe I'll give him another year. Maybe I'll let Katz stay another year. That might be one that they decide to change. It's, it, it is what it is. But in terms of rankings at this point, now the manager is kind of at the bottom, which I don't necessarily agree with it being. For me, director of player development is next. Who is filling your role? That says a lot about who you think you're going to work very closely with. Well, you know, I think I think what Getz would do that would be really positive as far as uh, just talking about, like, coaching staff and whatnot. Um, let Grafal make those decisions, genuinely. Like, if Grafal's going to stick up for a guy, let him fall on that sword. If he wants a guy that's out of there, let him make that decision and you live with where that decision goes. Because I think this upcoming year, and I don't, you know, if Chris Getz had to accept the fact that Grafal had to come back if he was going get to get this job, Okay, that's fine. You know, very, very white socks, but that sounds very par for the course for something we would kind of have somebody do that we just hired. With that being said, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this another year with Pedro Grafal, like this has to be a full evaluation year, and we have to kind of give him the power to make these decisions so we can see if he can make these decisions long term. Because in an ideal world, you really don't want your front office tinkering with with coaches and, and stuff like that. And, and a manager staff, that's kind of their guys. You know, it's kind of similar to really every other sport. The head coach makes the decisions as far as the other coaches go. That, that, that can't really be a GM thing. And if it is a GM thing, you have overreach and there's going to be a disconnect between the manager and the GM, and you're going to run into a lot of different issues. So if there is a situation where Ethan cast, Ethan Katz needs to get fired. You know what I mean? Which I don't necessarily agree with, but I think that's because I think being a pitching coach is more than just a couple year job. I think there needs to be a long-term aspect of it. Um, unless you're a guy like Mike Maddox who can just, you know, <laughs> make chicken salad out of chicken shit wherever he goes, but like make Grafal, make Grafal make that decision. Um, but, I, you know, to kind of just bring the entire point together, um, I really would like to just see Chris Getz, um, I, I'd like to see his hiring process as far as his, uh, you know, uh, 
as far as player development goes. I want to see who stays in the building and who doesn't. I want to see if this is going to be a situation where he really cleans out the offices or he keeps guys that have been close to him in the organization around and kind of clears everybody else out. Um, I'd like to see maybe not one extreme or the other. I'd want to, I, I would like to see Getz maybe keeping guys around him that were around him at his level because it would kind of show confidence in what he has done over the last years, whether or not that's gotten results or not. It is nice to kind of have uh, continuity and people who know what you're all about on a day-to-day basis within the organization. But if he, you know, if it does hit a situation where people do need to get fired and and let's be real here, people do need to get fired. It, it This can't just be a thing that starts at the top and then everybody else keeps their job. I'm really interested to see who ends up losing their job and what the process is to hire. You know, are we going to go full on inside the organization? You know, I, a name that's been tossed around and, you know, like I said, we laugh at it, but it's something that can always be real is like a guy like Frank Thomas for director of player development. Like, is that something that Chris Ketz is going to sign off on? You know, I love Frank Thomas more than the next guy. That would be absurd. And I think, you know, Frank's never going to say it out loud because he wants a job, but Frank Thomas would probably think that's absurd if he was genuinely approached with something like that, you know? Um, But I, I really am interested to see his hiring process and that'll bring me, a lot of insight on what he'll be moving forward. And that could give me a lot of confidence about what he is moving forward, depending on the guys that he ends up bringing in, whether it's inside the organization, outside the organization and um, the decision, letting people do their jobs, you know, is, is gets going to be somebody that's going to have too much overreach, you know? And I think that's important because that's something that we've seen in Jerry Reinsdorf organizations across the board. I'm going to go on a mini rant here because you brought up the Frank Thomas point. <clears throat> and apparently to Sox fans, the only way to fix the current day problems are to bring on everybody from the 2005 baseball team. Tread, tread lightly, Laz. I love Frank Thomas. I agree. He's and I, I love Frank job, Thomas, too. tread lightly. I love Frank Thomas, too. What qualification? You, you complained so much, people, about Chris Getz's qualifications for his current job. And those are fair criticisms. What are Frank Thomas's? Like we we have this Ozzy Gian thing all the time, where and I love Ozzy too, where Ozzy says something that every manager says about something like needing guys to hustle or if they're not playing hard they're not going to be on the field. I'm sure Grafal said the same thing at some point. If you want to play back the tape, he Ozzy says that bring Ozzy back. Like every manager says this stuff. Every it's like we we can find modern day solutions to modern day problems, people. It's a, when we brought back Ventura, it soiled his legacy long term. Why would you do that to someone like a Thomas or someone like a Gian? Let them have the things that keep them so high in White Sox memory as they belong there and leave them there where they belong. Do not do what you did to Ventura. On the rest of that point, though, I, how do I want to word this? I wouldn't basically I wouldn't mind if Getz came in and cleared house, essentially. You know, Reinsdorf says he knows the good people, he knows the bad people. Let him show let him show that, essentially. I would that would go a very, very long way for me. And the Grafal point too, and I think your your point on Grafal and letting him make the decisions on the coaching staff, that would be a huge point in favor of probably Katz not coming back because he didn't choose Katz. Katz was put upon him as part of the role, which is fine. I think Katz deserved to stay, but you would have liked to see Grafal make that uh, decision on his own. 
rather than having it come to him. So that's why I think if there's anybody on the current coaching staff that might be on the hot seat, it probably would be Katz. Other than that, let Getz go through the front office, the development staff, and, and truly make change, to your point. Truly, truly make the decision to retain guys for XYZ reasons or move on from guys from for XYZ reasons. Like, let people know you're serious about changing not only the players on the field, but the people who are putting them there. No, I, I agree with you completely, Les. Um, I, I really do think being able to kind of make make those decisions, it, it's important. It, like, it's going to be important to see who he's willing to kind of fall on the sword for because, you know, whether, whether or not he has a guaranteed five-year window to be able to work with this team, public perception will turn on him quick if he makes the wrong decisions in this hiring process. And it's just something the White Sox really aren't going to want to deal with. And, you know, I think you hear about it in Jerry Reinsdorf's comments. You know, he, he sounds like a guy who – you know, for, for all this thought that he isn't affected by the fans' opinions, he isn't affected by, you know, what the fans say, he's only affected by the mighty dollar, he sounded like a guy that was standing up there just beaten and broken about how bad things have gone currently for the White Sox, um, especially, especially in the last few years. Um, I, I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder, Nick, maybe if you have some thoughts on some of the Jerry Reinsdorf comments. I know, actually, I know for a fact you have thoughts on the Jerry Reinsdorf comments because you uh, you wrote quite the article with uh, probably one of my favorite headlines. Uh, pretty soon after it, his comments came out that Jerry Reinsdorf plan will fail before it begins. Um, what are your thoughts on some of the comments that he made? You know, do you think there's anything to what this is? You know, I have my own thoughts. I'll let you guys kind of go through it first, but um, the floor is yours, Nick. How do you feel about what Jerry Reinsdorf said the other day? Yeah, so last week, I think it was Wednesday, whenever he had his press conference, it was a pretty, it was a pretty busy time for me. I was, I was working. I had stuff going on that night. I had to pack for New York. As I mentioned, I went to the Mets game over the weekend. But I saw, all, I was reading these quotes as they rolled in on Twitter and I just got so angry and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm writing about this right now. I don't care. <laughs> I need to vent about Jerry Reinsdorf. And I usually like, I think I've only ever written one other article in the past for Saxon 35th that was even remotely like this. And it was last year when it had kind of become obvious that they weren't making the playoffs and like, here's where everyone think, everything went wrong. But yeah, the title was a little, little strong in terms of like, you know, the plan will fail before it begins. But when you really think about it, I mean, and, and these also, this answers your question, these are just my thoughts on the whole situation. If he's Im- imposing this rule, they have to compete next year. But he's simultaneously saying, no, we won't be after Otani. And no, we won't be after any pitchers on super long-term contracts. That's basically Reinsdorf's way of saying they're not signing any free agent over $100 million, which we already kind of knew because they've never done that anyway. And like that's, I, mean, I wouldn't say that's fine, but like that's a given. He didn't really need to say that. But then you look at it and it's like, okay, how are you going to compete next year? Because sure, money's coming off the books, but I highly doubt they're going back to an $180 million payroll given that, you know, the, the rebuild was over and attendance was way down this year and it'll probably be down next year too. Like, I, I sure, they'll, they'll spend some of the money that gets caught, but it's not going to be all of it. So what are you doing to fill three rotation spots, half of a bullpen and the position player situation is kind of a mess because... You're just kind of like this year, hoping on bounce backs from Anderson, Moncada, Jimenez types, and 
sure there are prospects like Montgomery, Ramos, Carroll could all feasibly contribute. Rodriguez too could feasibly contribute next year, but it's like I don't want to rush them. And maybe Getz as a former head of player development too. Hopefully he agrees. Doesn't want to rush them just to try to win like 84 games or something. Like I just don't see where this team is getting 30 wins next year. And I don't know if Jerry Reinsdorf is just saying this because he doesn't want fans to lose interest because he realizes how, you know, how bad things are, or if he genuinely believes that this team will compete next year. But either way, it's just, if you're not going to go after the top of the market, it's just not going to happen. Like sure. You could trade Montgomery and Noah Schultz for whomever, but one player isn't going to save you. They need to have a crazy off season. They need to wheel and deal like, AJ Preller is the GM with unlimited money and and resources and farm system. And I just, I just don't see how that's going to happen. So, I mean, I'd love to be wrong. I hope they, I hope they wow me and have the off season of a lifetime without going after the top of the market. But that's why I came out with that title that the plan will fail before it begins, because kind of like what I talked about earlier on this very podcast, not that I think he's being set up to fail, but I would at least hear an argument about that for guests because there's just so much that has to be done. Well, the problem was the past two off seasons, or excuse me, the past two seasons, the plan was the same as the one for why they think they can compete in 2024. The, the rationale was, well, we play in the AL Central. That didn't work the past two years. And these past two years were arguably so much easier to do it than even maybe next year will be. The Royals are still in the basement. The Tigers are showing decent promise. Torkelson's finally turning things around. They have some pitching. Twins aren't going anywhere. Guardians, I don't know what they're doing, but it's like it's not getting any harder, maybe, but it's also not getting any easier. Uh, we're we're very much in the same situation as a, a hole in the AL Central um, as things were in the past couple seasons. So that being the main driver is a concern for me. The other part of it is, and I think you alluded to it, Nick, and I think we've all alluded to it at a point, if Jerry thinks the team is competing next year, is it no longer Chris Getz's plan for this team? Like, if Chris Getz comes in and rightfully assesses this team can't win in 2024, turns around, builds a plan like that to Jerry, and Jerry doesn't like it and say, no, we, we got to compete next year. Do what you have to do to compete next year. How is this any different than what we just went through with Hyman Williams? Like, at, at the end of the day... The, the insistence on competing next year worries me. And, and Nick, you laid out a ton of good reasons why in the article. And I think the biggest one for me is just it, it shows that the new person you're considering the single decision maker either A, agrees with this assessment, and that's not great, or B, disagrees with this assessment, but won't be allowed to build the team his way. As for the Otani stuff and stuff like that, it's... He said what we all already knew. It didn't really bother me all that much. It's just, I've become numb to it. It was more so the concern of, yeah, it, it's probably going to fail before it even starts simply because I don't know where you're getting three to potentially four starting pitchers, half a starting lineup, and a decent amount of your bullpen this offseason. Because even if you were willing to spend up to $200 million, I don't think the free agent market is that good to be able to simply buy your way into this. And I don't think any of the prospects you have are going to buy you anything more than what you paid for them. Third, fourth type starters or overpaid relievers. 
the, the prospects aren't going to get you anything more than that. And the top of the free agent market isn't that great outside of guys like Otani. I just don't see where this plan comes to fruition. And I, Nick, like I said, I think you laid that out perfectly in the article. Yeah. It, well, even, even on that final point, Jordan, like I just would not understand where this team would come back and try to aggressively buy in the off season, as far as like sending away f- like farm pieces after literally just getting these guys, like you're never going to get the return that you just got that you just sent to get some of these guys. Like there's just no way it doesn't matter. Like how good of a half season that somebody had over here, their value isn't going to magically skyrocket to the point where we're going to go get uh, uh, an absolute hall of MLB ready talent from, from the farm. So even that, even that, like argument could fall flat on its face pretty quick, you know, and you're right. It is, uh, it is a barren wasteland of a free agent market this year. There's, there's really no other way to put it. And this is why being opportunistic in off seasons like 2016, um, were so important, you know, and that's why we, we currently see where we are now. You know, this is why you see Manny Machado while having a down year, have a have a great year and kind of lead the Padres with where they've been at the last like five years it's where you see Bryce Harper you know playing in the World Series last year you know there there's there's a difference you know and that's why not taking a chance on one of those guys and I hate to bring that up and I hate to just live in that revisionist history but like that's why not being opportunistic and opportunities where you can be really bites you in the ass in times like this because you know, let's say this season didn't work out, but you had a guy like that on this roster. Okay, you could probably do a little bit more of a quick, a quicker turnaround, and you could probably get talent over here cheaper than what they would probably sign elsewhere because they'd be willing to play for a team that could possibly make a run. You know, you kind of saw that with the Phillies. Even when the Phillies were kind of petering there for a minute, they still got guys in the door probably cheaper than the market value for them because they knew the talent was there. You know, even if the even if the results on the field weren't there, even, you know, even with them having to fire their manager and, you know, kind of just run from there. That's not the scenario we are currently with. You know, you can make an argument that Luis Robert potentially could be that guy. But even then, we've only seen a year of it. You know, that's a that's a hard that's a hard one to sell to a to a guy that's about to make life changing money to come play for you for less to try to win. You know, and like and like you've both laid out. There's such a large amount of large amount of money that would have to be spent to even kind of crack, you know, some of the problems on this roster. Um, And even then, you probably have to move out some of the money that it's going to be you're going to have to kind of take a loss on it. You know, like say the Mankata deal. If you ever if you ever want to get out of that, you're going to have to eat it. You know, otherwise, you're going to have to sit here and you're going to have to justify why you claim you want to win every single year while lugging this guy out to third base. And I don't want to just like sit here and just point out at Mankata because genuinely historically I'm a fan of the guy. He's just been on a terrible run the last two years, if we're being totally honest, but you know, it's, we need to see that in motion and we just continue to not see it. And I'm not, I don't want to go full rant here as far as Jerry Reinsdorf and the comments that he made, um, because obviously it's been pretty well noted how much I don't like Jerry Reinsdorf. But I tried so hard when I was reading his comments coming out to keep a clear mind with it, as I really try to do with a lot of this stuff. I try to kind of try to try to play devil's advocate. I try to sit in the middle and then you can kind of teeter me one way or the other. And, you know, it, it's sad where you see that Jerry, if you didn't know how this team operated the last 20 years, 
you see some of the comments, you know, about first and foremost, I'm a fan. I didn't get into this game to make the money. I got into it because I love baseball. It's in my blood. This is a lousy, horrible year, and the fans have a right to be upset. But hopefully they will give us time. I think we'll make it better. You know, friends of mine have said, why don't you sell? Why don't you get out? My answer has always been, I like what I'm doing. As, a, as bad as it is, and what else would I do? I'm a boring guy. I don't play golf. I don't play bridge. And I want to make it better before I go. Essentially saying, I want to make this team better before I die. You know, if you didn't know who was saying these comments, and maybe you played like, uh, you know, some patriotic American music behind those quotes, you probably get kind of fired up. Then you stop and realize that it's Jerry Reinsdorf and he's been singing this song for 20 years, you know, looking for any sort of pity every time one of these things don't work out. And here we are again. You know, it's it's sad because you hear things that you that he says and you're like, man, I could probably get behind that. And then it's like, wait a minute, Jerry Reinsdorf is saying it. We're literally he's literally trying to fool us again. And he thinks we're all going to take the bait. It's it's ridiculous. I don't understand how he can just continue to do this. And like. What what has made you think that fans should give you time? We've given you time. We've given you all of our time. If you're a fan who was born even after the World Series and you're still hanging on to this team, God bless you. You know what I mean? Because you haven't seen a winner. You know, the most you would have seen would have been 2008. And hell, <laughs> even then, you're just kind of hovering around being pretty young to see that. So, like, I don't understand why he needs to continue to look for this type of sympathy where it's like he has to just be straight up. He has to be a hundred percent honest that like, Hey, I messed this up. I'm willing to like go all in to, to do this. And just when you think that that's going to be the next quote is like, I'm Jerry Reinsdorf. I'm going to go all in to make this team better. He has to make a comment about Otani and how we're not going to be anywhere in that sweepstakes. Doesn't even have to say anything about that. Just decides to bring that up for whatever reason. And even when talking about Getz has to say that, yes, he has full power, but I have the say in the money. Every owner reserves that right. Like you try to make these emotional arguments with the fans and then you sound like a businessman and you wonder why nobody believes a word that you say. It is, it is so frustrating. I don't understand how anyone can fall for it at this point. And it's it's no surprise to me that you see everybody canceling their season tickets and you see how desperate they are. I don't know if you guys have seen any of those emails yet, how desperate they are to try to get people to renew right now. And it's it's sad. And to anybody who renews, God bless you. You know, I hope you enjoy going to the games with your family and everything like that. I have absolutely zero problem with it. I can't even say I would do something differently if I was in that same situation, but I really don't want to hear a lot of complaining about how things don't change because when you continue to feed this guy, you continue to make sure that he gets paid. Nothing's going to change. And here we are. I think the overarching point here at this point is the narrative surrounding it. You know, you're having a hard time surrounding or you're having a hard time selling it to fans. How are you going to sell to free agents? How are, how are you going to sell this to guys you want to come in? Because the last group you sold it to, it didn't work out. That's why you have Grandal checking out at the All-Star break and Lynn checking out after, like, May, if we're being honest. Like, guys who came here, who spent significant portions of their career, especially the back end of their career, to come here, and you sold them a narrative that it just didn't work, how are you going to convince this next crop of free agents that it's any different? Like, how are you going to convince the next Yasmani Grandal or the next Lance Lynn? Hey, stay with us. Sign with us. Here's what we're going to do. Here, here's our plan. Here's how it's going to work. And you're going to be part of the next championship team here. 
like you're full of it. We saw what happened the last time this went down. I'm not signing here. That's another big part of it. Yeah, money talks, but it, do you trust the White Sox to have the best offer on the table for any free agent that multiple teams are going for? I don't know. I think the entire concept of the narrative surrounding this team is not good right now. And it's not, it is not, to, to get back to the original point, it's not Chris Getz's fault right now. But it is his problem to fix, like it or not. Um, that, that comes with the title of the role. Like I said, I, you can kind of put some of the farm stuff on him. You kind of can't. But at the same time, no matter who you want to pin that on, we could go back and forth on that for multiple podcasts. It's your problem now. And the narrative surrounding it, which is probably the most important part, is not in your favor. Good luck. Yeah, I think you guys have both put things very nicely. I completely agree. And just a couple of quick things to add here for me. Um, one is that I'm worried that when it comes to the whole competing next year thing, I was saying this as a joke earlier in the season, but then all these rumors started to come out around the trade deadline and after the trade deadline. I'm genuinely convinced that they think Salvador Perez is going to like fix everything and be like a culture, you know, shifter and whatever and come in Please and just save the world. <laughs> like, can I mute am you I from wrong? this end? I, I didn't say you're wrong. I'm telling you to stop. <laughs> like there are very few things the White House could do that would make me like straight up not be a fan. I'm not, I'm not even saying that's one of them, but that would make me like, I don't know if I'd go to a game all year. Like if they give up anything of value for that player and that contract, like that's honestly what I'm expecting to happen. I think those are the kind of moves they're going to have to make is trading for veterans who are on bad contracts or like over the hill under the guise of like, Hey, we're trying, this is a big name. And the whole organization loves him. I don't know if Getz does, but clearly Grafal does and everyone else. So that's, that's one thing. I'm worried about that. And the second thing is we've been, you know, pretty, I think justifiably uh, negative this episode, maybe more so than usual. And I do want to say one thing we haven't been talking about as much lately, as much as Chris Getz has gotten flack for the farm system. I do think that, or at least I personally, I feel pretty excited about um, a lot of the developments over the last month or so. I know we talked to Michael Suero somewhat often on this podcast. He has great coverage of the Miners, but I would implore anyone listening to check out the article he wrote uh, today, Tuesday. So, you know, maybe yesterday when this comes out about Wilfred Veras. He's always been one of my favorite prospects. He's been lighting it, lighting it up in double A, even though he's only 20 years old. So I'm excited about guys like that and Nick Nestrini too. And now, now it's Charlotte, Christian Mena. Lots of guys who aren't quite like the Colson Montgomery or Noah Schultz range who have been just really going off lately. And while I'm not saying, I don't think that'll be enough for next year. I am excited about that for the long term because they haven't had this many interesting prospects at the same time, at least to me since 2019, maybe 2018. So it, it's, it's cool to at least follow that and have it be real prospects and not like, no offense, but not like Michael Rodolfo types all over again. You didn't list Carson Fulmer, so I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> I think putting a to- don't roll your eyes, Duke. I'm putting a in, in putting a total bow on everything here. I think we've all kind of alluded to it at times. Like, yeah, there are certain things you can pin on Getch. There are certain things you cannot. I, I think if you listen to some people around the industry, they will kind of echo the same thing. Like Jacob Gonzalez this year is a great example. Not a lot of people were in love with that pick. Whose fault is it? That that's really the scouting director who's in charge of that pick at the end of the day. And we've heard some things where, you know, in the past, Han and Williams have had that sort of power to either sway or definitively make the choice. 
maybe gets can see that and fix that sort of dysfunction that existed before. Like I said, there are people who have said positive things about Getz and his decision-making and some of the things he does that I think, from again, from my perspective, warrant at least a chance. That being said, like I said before, I don't necessarily disagree with those who aren't going to give the benefit of the doubt. My hope is that he comes through, and at least early on, you can see him sort of make his stamp on things to where he can begin to turn those tides. And again, like like we kind of said here, the narrative is not in his favor. And a lot of things the White Sox have done in the past don't make this easy for him. But if you're truly as, you know, envisionary and unique and innovative as you say you are and bring the energy that you say you do in your press conference, there's no better time to prove it than what you do over the next couple months. Um, and how you decide to set this team up for 2024 and beyond. And I'm not saying in how you set this team up to compete necessarily. I'm saying in who you hire. I'm saying in some of the big decisions like Tim Anderson that you make. What do you do? He is certainly not working from an advantageous point. But I'm maybe naively ready to say, let's just see what happens here even if I don't love how we got here. I mean, genuinely, we just don't have a choice. That's the other way of looking at <laughs> we, it. <laughs> we we kind of just have to see how it, how it, how it plays out. Um, I'll give Getz credit in one sense where when he did talk about Tim Anderson, um, he discussed about sitting down with Tim and discussing his future. And like, I guess the comment that sticks with me, and that's this is where you can tell Getz was a former player, is that like, He's like, we're going to talk to Tim. We're going to sit down. We're going to discuss our future because he deserves that. Don't know why that comment got me a little bit, but it's like, okay, I like that. That at least shows that you have respect for the player on the field. Um, you know, and say whatever you want about Tim Anderson at this point. Um, but yeah, no, I guess we're going to have to see. We, we don't really have a choice. I'll find a way to get up for this team next spring, unfortunately, because that's just me being an absolute clown. I do it with the Bears. I do it with Blackhawks. I do it with every Chicago team. Um, just wish they were a little bit honest, um, decided to say that, Hey, you know, maybe we win some games next year, but if it doesn't pan out, we're not, uh, we're not fretting this past run didn't work. Obviously you don't fire a front office. If it did work, um, we're going to sign some players. We're going to try to be a fun baseball team that people can try to root for and people can enjoy watching, but, uh, we're going to start thinking long-term again. I wish they were just kind of with that, but obviously Jerry Reinsdorf, and his age might have different plans for that. But, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have this week for the Sox on 35th Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else to get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website, SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We'll be back next week as we cover another exciting week of White Sox baseball. Happy birthday, Hawk Harrelson, and go Sox! And guess we trust, I guess. Go Sox. Yeah, when this comes out, the White Sox might have secured their first win of the Getz era. Go hey! Sox. <laughs>